0: Welcome to The Irony of Beauty, a fortnightly podcast hosted by skincare experts Fiona and Rose. They love a good chat and sometimes a heated debate about all things skin and nutrition, calling out scaremongering, misinformation and misleading marketing in an ever-confusing world of beauty and wellness. Please note, the information provided is for entertainment purposes only and does not replace qualified medical advice. So today, Rose, we're talking about inflammation, in particular, inflammaging. Did you know it's a real thing? Inflammation is accelerating our aging.
1: Certainly is. Uh, I do see a lot of inflammation in the clinic. So it's definitely um, becoming more and more common and more of an issue and impacting skin health, skin health quite significantly.
0: I think when it comes to inflammaging, what a lot of people don't realize is that we think of inflammation as this sort of acute inflammation or something that we can actually see. But when it comes to this chronic low grade inflammation, it's not necessarily something that can be seen with the naked eye. And it's almost like we are internally rusting and internally aging. There's this inflammation that's occurring, which is having an effect on our general aging, you know, whether that's joints whether it's skin whether it's cardiovascular um all of these things are being accelerated by this low-grade chronic inflammation
1: it's almost like a bit of a silent killer really because we don't really know what's going on it's quite asymptomatic so you know we may not feel quite well our skin behaves a little bit differently um and it's very slow progressing
0: yeah and i think it can be you know in different people it will it will affect them um differently so for instance gut health seems to be linked to this this chronic inflammation um which in turn obviously is going to affect all areas of the body we know gut health can affect you know brain heart um skin all of these things so everything is interconnected and i think we're going to be naturally getting this chronic inflammation um we all expose to it a little bit, and I sort of liken it a little bit to rusting, if you like. Um, yes. But certain lifestyle factors, diet, all of these things can actually accelerate it, and that's what I think people don't realise. So we can actually, in a way, take control of how quickly we age.
1: Yes, of course. Um, and oxidative stress, um, lifestyle, it's like when you say we're co- kind of rusting, that that's the best way to explain it. Um, and it's a very slow progression so lifestyle is huge when it comes to aging Um, our diet is big things like alcohol exercise how we actually live our life is going to determine how we age and our skin will pretty much um, reflect everything that's going on internally so it's going to basically give us the truth um, and express what really is going on internally with aging and it comes up a few years later, <laughs> let me tell
0: you. So it might be that you're in your 20s or your 30s and you're not really seeing the effects or the damaging effects. And then when you get into your 40s and 50s, that's when that damage really does start to show and then it it just progresses. So I think sometimes we think we can get away with things and it's not until a few years later, even with sun damage, you know, it really starts to to show up. So you might think you're getting away with that, but really you're
1: probably not. Exactly. And it's interesting because these days it's very difficult to tell people's ages, right? So you could have two 30 year olds and they would look completely different because their lifestyle is so different. Their diet is different. And one person would be aging very, very quickly in comparison to the other person, even though they're the same age. Mm, Absolutely. So let's
0: talk about it in a bit more detail then. Why don't we sort of look at actually what is inflammation um, in detail and how that can affect our skin, how it can affect things like blood sugar. um, Because I think that's something when we understand how it works, it might actually sort of help people to manage it more effectively in their day-to-day lifestyle. You know, when we're talking about inflammaging, really what we're talking about is this low-grade chronic inflammation that's occurring in the body. And basically what is happening is that we're getting these, um, an increase in pro-inflammatory mediators in the body. And that can occur through a lot of different reasons. If we think about things like low-grade infections, for instance, that is going to increase inflammation in the body. As can exposure to viruses, which is interesting because you know, if you in the when you were younger, if you were exposed to viruses, and there's a lot of viruses, but you know, things like glandular fever, chickenpox, all of these things, they they can stay dormant in the body, and in times of stress, or we we get this viral load or viral buildup, that can also increase chronic inflammation. And I think it's also quite interesting that post COVID, which of course is viral as well, I don't know about you, Rose, but I've certainly been seeing more inflammatory style. Skin conditions and and more weird skin responses, as well, more skin sensitivity.
1: Yes, of course. Um, In the clinic, I've seen since COVID so much more inflammatory. Um, skin conditions or so many more I should say uh, they've certainly increased you know skin is a, is quite a unique very dynamic organ you know and it is part of our immune system so if our immune system is compromised and we've had things like COVID or we are living a lifestyle where we are inflamed our skin is going to present with many different types of skin conditions and even underlying skin conditions that you previously previously had which were managed will then start to show yes. up again absolutely yeah and we get these these
0: flare-ups um for sure and you can that can be anything from eczema psoriasis rosacea all of these things because we're more immune compromised in a way um and that's where things like gut health can play a role as well because if the gut is um not at its optimum health and when i'm i'm talking about gut health we're really talking about the gut microbiota um if we're not fueling up the beneficial microbes with the right diet and we're those good ones, if you like, become more sleepy and dormant, then we're giving rise to more pro-inflammatory mediators, you know, that we, we get things like increased gut permeability um, that can also have a pro-inflammatory effect systemically within the body um, and that can affect all areas of the body. So gut health and chronic inflammation, very closely linked. so we really need to be looking at supporting the gut um, to also help to
1: address inflammation within the body as well. Exactly. and we're not just talking about skin health here it's like you said in the body and, and we're talking about age- related diseases that we're seeing more and more of now. and even in younger clients you're experiencing you know um, more age-related diseases like things like diabetes um you know alzheimer's disease you know that's something that kind of falls in that category as well but you know i guess overall we do need to look at our health um and our skin health you know according to our lifestyle uv sun exposure you know what we eat on a daily basis um our diet is huge when it comes to aging and inflammation inflammation diet is huge
0: and i think what people don't realize and this is where it's you know the irony of beauty (laughs) (laughs) You know, so many people get caught up on inflammatory foods and look at the individual foods and get it all wrong. And, you know, quite often people say, oh, don't eat that. You know, that's dairy or don't eat gluten or don't eat this or don't eat that. And they don't look at the whole diet. And it's the whole diet as a whole as to whether that's going to be pro-inflammatory or inflammatory. And And where it all sort of gets very misinformed is that it's that obesity factor that people don't take into consideration whenever somebody is overweight it automatically will increase inflammation within the body and it will basically accelerate aging and it will put us at risk of metabolic disease Um, and so unless we address obesity we're sort of in a way fighting a losing battle whenever there is an excess of macronutrients basically when that fat cell in the adipose tissue when it, when that is exposed to an excess of macronutrients um, that's going to have a stimulating effect on the release of inflammatory mediators so that's going to increase things like tumor necrosis factor interleukin um, it's going to reduce the adiponectin which is going to increase inflammation and oxidative stress That then um, doesn't allow the cells to be able to uptake things like glucose, and then we can then get things like insulin resistance. So obesity and insulin resistance go hand in hand. We're then going to be exposed to higher blood glucose levels, um, which in turn can increase things like glycation and premature ageing. And we can see in the skin Lines, wrinkles, um, an increase in pigmentation as well. So, diet's really important, getting the right foods, but we need to also address things like obesity. That's a huge one because a lot of people get caught up on the individual food and they don't address the actual calorie intake and any excess of calories when we're overeating and overfeeding the cells. That will increase inflammation and oxidative stress.
1: It's also removing food groups as well. Uh, Would that be correct, Fiona? Like removing food groups as opposed to really looking at the diet overall and getting, you know, a good balance of of those whole foods. Removing food groups isn't necessarily good for us as well because that then will promote, you know, inflammation. Would you agree with that? Well, it's
0: more about, you know, really looking at... What's causing the inflammation? Um, it's probably diet and lifestyle as a whole, gut health as a whole. When we start to just focus on isolated food groups or isolated nutrients, that's where we're losing sight of the bigger picture. Um, it's more important to look at what you can add in, you know, get that diversity of plant foods in the diet, because we know that's one of the most beneficial things we can do to support gut health. So rather than take things out and then actually reduce the prebiotics and phytonutrients and all the things that we know can be anti-inflammatory, focus on what we can add in because most people aren't getting enough plant foods. And I think we say this in every episode. um, We do they're not getting the diversity in their diet and we need a diversity of different foods to fuel up those different beneficial microbes in the diet. A mistake a lot of people will make is take out all of these different food groups and they're left with really eating a very small um, selection of foods which can have an adverse effect on the gut microbiome, which then in turn could have an effect on inflammation within the body as well. So I think, you know, people take everything in isolation and we know that that's not how the body works well. Everything is interconnected. And so when we start to look at what we can add in, you know, start adding in more fruits and vegetables, particularly things like dark leafy greens, berries, um, lots of brightly coloured fruits and vegetables, getting in our whole grains, for prebiotics, getting in our healthy fats, our nuts, seeds, oily fish, they're going to be really anti-inflammatory foods. And these are all foods that are going to be really beneficial for the gut health as well. And when we fill up on these foods, we don't have as much room for all of those highly processed foods or the foods that are really um, high carbohydrate, high in saturated fat that aren't great for the gut microbiome and also aren't great for obesity as well.
1: And skin relies on those nutrients that we get from our diet every day. You know, if the skin is depleted in nutrients, it's not going to function correctly. And I think I've said this many times as well in lots of our podcasts, but if there's inflammation in the body, the skin is going to be very different. It's going to be generally thinner. You're going to see a lot more pigmentation, solar keratosis. Um, The fibroblast, which is the cell that produces that collagen, is not going to be functioning correctly. Um, The dermal-epidermal junction, which I'm getting a bit more technical now, but that, you know, over time with inflammation, that will start to thin out. That ground substance, that, that extracellular matrix, that starts to become compromised as well. So overall, the skin density will change. The response and the reactivity to treatments also changes as well. It becomes very unpredictable. And also with
0: ageing, we will naturally absorb less nutrients, unfortunately. (laughs) Um, Right. (laughs) I know. And that's when your topical nutrients will be beneficial as well. And that's why I'm a big believer in getting the diet right. Um, If we're not getting enough of the good stuff in the diet, that's when we would look at, you know, that's why I'm a big fan of the whole food supplementation as well. And also topical skincare ingredients as well and when we can marry all of that together that is when we'll get the best results for our skin
1: yeah what what ingredients are your go-tos for skins that are or but you know clients that are inflamed um, and going through this type of thing what are your go-tos
0: well first and foremost we will be looking at the diet obviously Mm. um minimizing alcohol again as we've mentioned you know Alcohol is a toxin. You know, it actually, you've got to drink responsibly, but um, too much alcohol is going to not be good for us. So we have to be aware of that. We have to address the obesity. Um, we have to get the diet right. And then, topically, really, what we want to be doing is really getting to the skin before it reaches that state of inflammation. When it reaches that state of noticeable inflammation, that's when we actually want to do less to the skin because the more we put on it, the more it's going to be reactive. Um, So calming, cooling ingredients, but really less is best when it's in an inflamed state. But really we want to protect it from getting to that state. And that's when we'd be looking at the topical antioxidants, um, Vitamin C is great, but I do prefer more your lipid-soluble type vitamin Cs, ones that um, are less irritating. So L-ascorbic acid, whilst it does have the most evidence behind it because it's been around for longer, um, it has to be used in a lower pH. It can be quite irritating to a lot of skins. It's highly unstable, so it needs to be used in far higher amounts, you know, 10 to 15 to 20%, as opposed to some of those lipid soluble vitamin Cs that can be used in um, percentages low as 2% and have an incredible response on the skin and not as irritating as well. So mixing your vitamin Cs, and then you've got, you know, there's a plethora of antioxidants, resveratrol, green tea, all of those types of things can be really beneficial, flavonoids um, for strengthening capillaries and skin as well. Licorice, I love licorice as an ingredient because it's an anti-inflammatory and it's also great for depending on what percentage you use it in, but can be beneficial when you're looking at pigmentation as well, including pic, uh, licorice with say things like nice cinnamide, green tea. Those types of ingredients can be good for the skin as well. So I do like licorice too. and then of course you've got your hydrating ingredients, your beta glucans hyaluronics, urea, glycerin, all of those things as well. They're more going to be for more of that plumping and hydration rather than anti-inflammatory or antioxidant. But I think when you combine them all, that's when you're going to get the best results.
1: I'm glad you said that less is best because that's definitely my approach with these types of clients. Um, it is about introducing anti-inflammatory ingredients, hydrating ingredients, restorative ingredients, um, for skin barrier function and making the skin more, you know, skin barrier um, working more better. If you want to say, I lost my words there, but they're the type of ingredients. So looking at azolate, um superoxide dismutase is another one that I use topically as well. Um, your B3, your B5, aloe vera is also really good um, too so they're just a few um, ingredients that I tend to go through um, with my clients as well with topicals
0: absolutely and even with niacinamide you have to be careful because you know I think the evidence for niacinamide for efficacy and safety is around two to five percent so you would use a different percent depending on what you want to achieve in the skin so if you're using the niacinamide more as um You know, for pigmentation, it's more up about at the 5%, but lower percentages can be used when it's more for skin barrier. Um, So when companies use much higher percentages, that's when we know that potentially you could have more of an inflammatory type response because... Some niacinamide has got quite high levels of nicotinic acid, which can cause redness and flushing and skin sensitivity. And that's why even though niacinamides are calming and supportive ingredient to the skin barrier, some people still do react to it because there are very different qualities of niacinamide available. And that's when I'm a big believer in quality Less is best, use it at the right dosage, use a very high quality ingredient and you don't need to be then promoting, you know, 10, 20% niacinamide. To me, that's just ludicrous when the evidence is at two to 5%. So I think we need to all get a little bit more savvy on ingredients as well, because there's so much misleading marketing out there and we're promoting higher percentage the better. And the skin doesn't necessarily respond that well to mega dosing on the skin because it's going to be more reactive the more active ingredients you have the more reactive the skin will be so there's a time and a place for actives but we don't necessarily have to take a sledgehammer to the skin with really high percentages of actives because invariably we're going to end up with an impaired skin barrier and more of an inflamed skin which is the opposite of what we're trying to
1: achieve. And I've actually seen that in action for clients that have had um, quite an unpredictable and very reactive skin, introducing too many of those ingredients, even though we are trying to calm the skin and rebuild the skin, but introducing too many of them, in particular things like niacinamide, will cause a uh, quite a stinging sensation. Um, So it actually becomes more counterproductive. So I think being strategic about how we introduce these topical ingredients is important for these clients as well, Um, just to help them to rebuild their skin at a much slower rate. Um, And I think the skin will react better with that too.
0: Absolutely. And the same goes with vitamin C as well. You know, because we hear more about L-ascorbic acid, people go, you know, how much vitamin C is in that product? And, you know, it's 10%, 20%. And I think people don't understand that different vitamin C derivatives are therapeutic. um, I probably shouldn't say the word therapeutic (laughs) because they're technically a cosmetic, but basically um, they're effective at far lower doses than with, say, the water-soluble vitamin C. So percentages are important, but it's not about getting the highest percent because you will potentially cause more irritation or more side effects You also need to take into consideration what else that ingredient is mixed with. Will it it slow down its effectiveness or will it speed up its effectiveness? Um, So as I always say, you know, the final formula is, is king, if you like. We need to know what else is in there as to what is going to enhance its efficacy or impede the efficacy of that product. So it's not just about looking at individual ingredients either exactly what we say in the diet too it's not about looking at individual foods in the diet it's about um, the whole diet is going to ultimately affect us in either a positive or a negative way same with skincare products we've got to look at the whole formulation not just individual ingredients
1: and and inflammation can develop very quickly and very randomly as well you know clients that you know, uh, are so used to using certain ingredients and they've had no issue with it, you know, for a period of time and then all of a sudden they start to react to a vitamin C or they'll start to react to a vitamin A because their skin's changing, that's always an indication of something else going on internally as well. So if the, if the client's going through a period of chronic stress, um, you know, for for a significant amount of time, the skin is going to change in its behaviour. So you may actually need to take those ingredients out of that client's skincare routine for a period of time. Um, And and that is a thing as well. I see that quite a lot in in my clinic with my clients too. Stress will definitely make the skin more
0: reactive. And I always remember, you know, I used to travel a lot for work and I, you know, would get on a 12 hour flight to go and do a product launch in, I know, Korea or somewhere, get there. um, Then the food was really spicy. So I'm tired, I'm eating spicy food, I'm probably stressed because I've got a big media launch the next day, jet lagged. And then I remember sitting in a restaurant eating my spicy laxer or whatever it was with jet lag, thinking about <laughs> the presentation the next day, got home, looked in the mirror and my skin was bright red. Um, classic example, not usually reactive, but the dehydration from the flight as well, coupled with the stress the jet lag, the spicy food. Um, and that was just all too much. And my skin was, was really reactive. And that was when, okay, I've got a pear bat, won't be using my vitamin A or,
1: or any actives
0: for the next few days. Otherwise I would have been in big trouble.
1: Environment is everything. I've had a lot of clients um, come back from Europe and Their skin has certainly changed. They may have um, a bit more of a tan, which that's another topic. (laughs) Um, But, yeah, they tend to be experiencing breakouts. They haven't coped well with the flight. Their skin is dehydrated um, and reacting, once again, differently to ingredients as well. So it is about being mindful and being aware that skin does change according to inflammation, according to what's going on within our body and also according to our environment, our stress levels, Um, you know, if we are exercising, and that's another thing that we need to look at for skin health as well. It's very important for circulation, for lymphatic drainage. You know, there's so many factors that we could talk about here with inflammation, you know.
0: Mm. And I also think, you know, with, with exercise, it's one of the key things for managing not only weight but also blood sugar as well. You know, if somebody's got insulin resistance, which seems to be, a lot of people seem to tell me that they have insulin resistance you know that that can be through diet it can be through lack of exercise we need one of the best ways to address that is through exercise particularly you know high intensity short bursts of you know exercise for the cells to them need to uptake um glucose so We need to move more, we need to eat well, we need to address things like insulin resistance because insulin resistance will affect the way that the skin ages for sure and we will see things like pigmentation as well on the skin and it is a big thing now and i'm seeing it a lot with people and quite often you can see pigmentation across the tops of the cheeks here with insulin resistance we'll get that middle-aged spread that thickening of the waist you can see darkening under the arms in the groin area that can all be linked to insulin resistance or, or you know blood glucose um, dysregulation as well. So we really do need to address that. And quite often diet, you know, too much ultra processed food, too much saturated fat. I was speaking to someone with insulin resistance the other day and she's like, oh, you know, I have ghee with everything and coconut oil and like, that's really not great if you've got insulin resistance. Oh, but I thought that was really healthy. I didn't realize. So again, there is so much misinformation about diet online people are following these diets that just aren't going to be particularly beneficial for their health long-term. And as a result, we are seeing insulin resistance. And now these people are, are trying all these different fad diets online and they're still obese and they have still got insulin resistance because they're not really just eating an anti-inflammatory Mediterranean style diet, taking daily exercise exercise. Keep it simple. Don't overcomplicate it. But we all want that quick fix. And unfortunately, it's not there.
1: It isn't. Um, And, you know, the skin will respond um, very differently to clients who are inflamed. And pigmentation is one of the things that I've seen happen before my eyes on clients. Um, You know, that melanocyte, if the body is inflamed, will start to overproduce melanin, you know, and you'll definitely see pigmentation in the skin. You see vascularity um, as well. And, and darkness under the eyes, like you said, is huge. You can definitely see that in clients and, and they see these changes themselves. It's a gradual thing, but all of a sudden from one month to the next, my client will say to me, Oh, Rose, I've noticed a lot more pigmentation going on in my skin. Um, my skin looks different and, and, you know, it is reflective of what's going on internally. So I think if we do bring things back down to our lifestyle and our diet, um, you know, and taking internal support. amigas can't stress enough how much I give those to all of my clients to manage skin health. Um, Yeah, I think we'll definitely see a much better, healthier skin as we age.
0: Mm. So I think really, you know, the main things here, if somebody is overweight, they need to really address obesity. I think we cannot really look at addressing aging and inflammation in the skin, even pigmentation, to be honest with you without addressing obesity. And I think that's something people do need to be aware of because that will affect um, inflammation within the body, this chronic low-grade inflammation that they may not be aware of. I also think that um, the overall diet, as we've said, is key. Rather than getting caught up in you know, dairy or gluten, we now know that it's a much bigger picture of getting the diet right as a whole rather than having a small piece of cheese and freaking out, which people do. People get scared of these um, food groups. And, you know, I've been out with people that are like, I can't eat that. It's got dairy and it's going to, it's inflammatory. And it's like, "Mm." it's a diet as a whole that's inflammatory. But they're saying that and getting worried about eating a piece of cheese. Um, But at the same time, they've had three margaritas. You know, it's like (laughs) you've got to put it into perspective a little bit.
1: (laughs) that's so so true
0: (laughs) it is about perspective absolutely and and that's where i think we as as humans get it all quite quite wrong so look at what you can start to add in you know all the the fruits and vegetables the whole grains nuts seeds healthy fats um rather than taking things out. And before you sort of worry about taking out things like gluten and dairy, look at taking out and reducing those ultra processed foods. Um, Things like ultra processed meats. We know that they are actually carcinogens. So Mm -hmm. I'm not saying don't ever eat them. I mean, I don't actually, I don't ever eat them, but reduce them. Some people eat sausages and bacon and processed meat and salami and ham and all these things um, a lot daily, and they're things that we need to be reducing because they aren't really providing any health benefits and they are more pro-inflammatory. Being aware of that type of thing rather than get caught up with what's online and people saying things that are taken way
1: out of context, that's the most important thing I think. Of course. Um, You know, and it just gets back down to having balance, isn't it? It's balance. It's Mediterranean style diet. It gives you all the nutrients. And from a skin perspective, that's what it needs. Yeah. And obviously, if somebody does have a dairy intolerance or an actual
0: allergy, that's completely different. It's more about being aware of the scaremongering and where does that come from and is it really going to make a huge difference in your in your life? I mean, I used to completely cut out gluten and dairy and I actually put on weight doing that quite interestingly um, because a lot of these other plant milks have got all sort of oils and sugars in, gluten foods. All the gluten-free foods tend to be very high refined carbohydrates, so they don't have the fiber, they don't have necessarily the the whole grains. You can get gluten-free whole grains, but it's it's quite hard. You've got to know what you're looking for. Um and I did I, I really did put on weight from doing that. And I think a lot of people do that. They think they're being healthy. They have no medical reason to be cutting these foods out. And as a result, they end up actually putting weight on because they're not eating the right foods and it can affect the gut in a negatively negative way as well when we're completely stripping out a lot of these foods. Um, so I do think we need to go back to basics and it's a very boring message, but it's a message that
1: works. Of course, and our gut microbiome behaves very differently when we're eating a diet that is full of fiber you know, that that microbiome is going to produce those really good metabolites that keeps us healthy. And then that impacts our immunity, our hormones and our overall health, the way our skin functions, reduces inflammation. You know, it does it. Like you said, it's one of the things that we keep talking about, but that's what it's going to take to reduce that inflammation.
0: The thing with that, though, is because when people cut out certain food groups and maybe they have been on a really strict gluten free diet, for instance, And they're not getting enough of the foods that fuel up the beneficial microbes, they will then start to confuse, you know, a little bit of wind or waking up those microbes with an intolerance to the food. So then they will avoid all these foods, the healthy foods for the gut, because they may get a little bit of bloating or they may get a little bit of gas. So this is something that I think people need to be aware of. It's very normal to have wind from food. In fact, that's a sign that our gut microbes are working. When we start getting pain and bloating, that might mean that you've not been eating these foods and you suddenly introduce too many and then everything's going a little bit crazy and you're waking up all these gut microbes and it's all, you know, causing a a response too much too soon, and then you get scared and then you want to cut it all out again because you think you've got a a response to it. Um, So if you have been cutting out major food groups, you have to then start to very slowly introduce things like whole grains and legumes um, because too much of that too soon, you can get pain and gas and bloating, and it just means you need to just reduce it and just introduce these things very, very slowly slowly and manage that. Because when we don't have any prebiotics in the diet, you've got no fuel for those beneficial microbes. And so that is then going to take you into more of a pro-inflammatory state. And people think it's the other way around. And that's where they get frightened of these foods.
1: It makes so much sense. It really does. When you explain it in that way, it makes a lot of sense. And these things are easy to apply. It's just making better choices. Um, And once you start doing that, it's amazing how much better you actually feel. You don't get that pain. You don't get that bloating. Um, And, you know, that's what we want, really.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And it's the same with dairy. You know, people say, oh, dairy is inflammatory. Um, Dairy isn't really inflammatory unless you've got an allergy or an intolerance to it. As I said, it's a diet as a whole. Um, Small amounts of dairy can be part of a anti-inflammatory diet. Um, We talk about dairy being inflammatory, that probably stems from the fact that a lot of dairy can be high in saturated fat. And we know that a diet high in saturated fat can be more pro-inflammatory. So again, you know, what else are you eating that's really high in saturated fat? And I'm not saying completely cut saturated fat out, we need some, but if it's high in saturated fat, then that's going to be more pro-inflammatory because it increases the absorption of things like lipopolysaccharides, um, toxins into the um, system, which can increase inflammation. So that's something that people need to be aware of rather than just go, oh, my God, all dairy is bad. We actually know some dairy is actually anti-inflammatory. So
1: there's so much misinformation out there. I'm glad we've clarified that now. (laughs) let's hope
0: let's hope we have so i think you know (laughs) the the key takeaways then really it's about the diet as a whole anti-inflammatory diet getting your, your greens fruits and vegetables nuts seeds berries you know whole grains um cutting down on the ultra processed foods increasing daily exercise reducing alcohol intake um addressing obesity and
1: focus on what we can add into the diet rather than what we're cutting out. Excellent.